Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. Robert, let's have a reading from our holy book, The Daily Mail, shall we? Yes, let's do. Headline, June 2013. Crazy ants that feast on electronics and are invading the U.S. cannot be killed (laughs) with normal insecticide. Oh, wow. I I love everything about that uh, headline because it just implies that these ants are coming to eat your precious Xbox and there's nothing you can do to penetrate its exoskeleton. It's just going to laugh at you. They feast on electronics. They're crazy. (laughs) Cannot be killed. (laughs) Cannot is capitalized. Um, They've got little subheads here. Since it was first spotted in Houston in 2002, it spread to some 21 counties in Texas, 20 counties in Florida, and a few locations in Mississippi and Louisiana. The omnivorous ant attacks and kills other species as well as monopolizing food sources to the detriment of the entire ecosystem. It also attacks electrical wiring, causing millions of dollars worth of damage. Oh, wow. So it's just an unstoppable force. It's like an invasion. I'm imagining those ants from Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Did you watch I this never, movie? I never watched this one. So. You didn't watch it? No, you know, the, the buzz wasn't all that great, so I just never got around to it. Robert, I get mad when people haven't watched the same bad movies <laughs> I have. You've got to go subject yourself to this. Have you heard about the gopher? No. There's a gopher. Like in uh, Caddyshack Gopher? Yeah, there's like a CGI gopher in it. (laughs) And there's also CGI ants marching through the forest and attacking people. Hmm. I should probably check it out at some point. Uh, No, don't waste your time. (laughs) It's uh, The best part of it is Kate Blanchett, who's the best part of everything she does. But there are crazy ants. They're essentially crazy ants, or they're giant crazy ants. Is that what you're saying? No, I think it's actually not a very good point of comparison once we get into the details on crazy ants. But, man, so I I put this up here because – I I hate the Daily Mail. <laughs> I hate, that's I, I shouldn't say I hate things, but uh, yeah, I I, I kind of hate the way their their headlines work. But I also can't resist that they they just go for it. They say cannot be killed and feast on electronics. <laughs> but of course, we are talking about a real organism here. Yeah, um, one that's not quite as outlandish as this. Uh, the, the, these headlines and subheads make it sound. No, and while the idea of feasting on electronics is not quite exactly right, mm-hmm. it's not as far off as you might imagine based on, I don't know, you know, whatever you found out when you clicked on that Daily Mail article about the Loch Ness Monster washing up on the beach. You know, and I, I also have to point out that I have uh, I have heard uh, versions of this where people think that the crazy ants eat electricity, yeah. which is also not true. Yeah, like they're RoboCop, they need to charge up at night. Right. Yeah, they're seeking out your electronics so that they can uh, they they can they just jag on to that uh, that that precious juice. Did you ever see that mid-career Wes Craven movie Shocker? No, but uh, this is one that uh, that you've been telling me about for years. Yeah, it's so it's Wes Craven at at the height of his I don't care, and he <laughs> makes a movie with the. Oh, what's uh, Mitch Pileggi, the boss from the X-Files. Okay. Yeah, he plays like a murderer who gets sent to the electric chair and then he turns into an electricity killer mm-hmm. uh, who like can fly through TVs and he can go through power lines. And he, when he gets hurt, he can heal himself by sticking his fingers in an electrical outlet. So he's, ba- he's basically the electricity gremlin from Gremlins 2, the new batch. You know, I've never seen Gremlins oh, 2. Wow. How many people hate me now? <laughs> 
Uh, no. So let's explore a little bit more anecdotes about what the deal with this crazy ant is and why people say it feasts on electricity even if that's not exactly true. So there is a 2013 New York Times story on crazy ants by the writer John Mualam, and it tells stories of people with crazy ant nightmares in their homes, specifically with the ants attacking their electronics. So there's one story about a man named Mike who had his house infested to an unbelievable degree, quote, One day his air conditioning stopped working. A musty smell seeped from the vents in his living room floor. So he powered up his shop vac to clear them. By the time he was done, he had sucked out five gallons of ants. Soon he and his wife were waking up to find vast, frantic networks of ants zipping around the kitchen floor in all directions. When the picture on their 50-inch box television started flickering, Mike took off the back panel and found the guts throbbing with ants. Oh, that, that's lovely. I mean, that just sounds like a, like a Tales from the Dark Side episode. Yeah, you can't – well, there – what's uh, – in uh, the Tales from the Crypt movie, there's a guy who gets flooded with – it's not ants. I think it's cockroaches, isn't it? Oh, are you thinking about uh, Stephen King's – Creep Show. Creep Show, yes. Not Tales from the Crypt. Yeah, yeah. Creep Show. But, you know, the Tales from the Crypt, I'm sure, has a, an insect horror episode that I'm forgetting. Yeah. Another story from that New York Times article. There's a man named Strom Duke – Uh, The story of Strom Duke, quote, One evening, his iron stopped working. Then sparks shot from the appliance and a tide of crazy ants came rushing out. Other dukes lived in neighboring houses, and they all had similar stories. The ants had caused $1,600 of electrical damage to one woman's car, infiltrated the glass break detector of one house's alarm system, causing the alarm to blare, and just the previous night shut off the water at Strom's brother Melvin's house by disabling the pressure switch on his well. It really sounds like it could be a horror movie. I can imagine all these scenarios. Essentially, the movie Squirm, except instead of uh, screaming earthworms, you have ants just streaming out of telephones and various household gadgets. Yeah, and if you don't dig too deep, if somebody just says it, it sounds like it could be plausible, right? The ants are eating electricity. You keep finding them inside the TV, inside the iron, inside the sensor, the air conditioner compressor, the gas pump. They're everywhere the wires are. So why, why wouldn't we assume they're eating electricity? Yeah, I mean, the mere idea of ants being drawn to electricity isn't that crazy. Uh, I mean, eating electronics, yes, that's nuts. But organisms are inherently bioelectric. Uh, even in the, uh, you know, the the mighty electric eel, it's nothing compared to, to lightning or the lethal volts coiled inside your household electric outlets, but it's there. It's, it's really not that grandiose to think of it as a, as a spark of life even. So, yeah, just the mere connection between electricity and organisms, uh, you know, one can easily buy into that. Yeah, you could easily imagine they're trying to power up, right? (laughs) Or at least that, yeah, there's maybe some kind of electromagnetic field being emitted. And that field tends to draw in insects of a certain sort. It makes me think of – Robert, did you ever see that ants circling the iPhone viral video? I don't think I I ever did, no. Allow me to show you something. Oh, wow. So it's just a a phone. Looks like it's receiving a call, and uh, ants are just circling around it like uh, uh, like they're they're intending to uh, invade it or they're besieging it, corralling it even. Yeah, as I look at this video now, it's got almost five million views. It obviously was a viral hit, and it was published by something on YouTube called Viral Video Lab. 
I'm pretty sure it's fake. Uh, I looked at the Snopes thing on it. The Snopes article is like, well, you know, we haven't proven it's real. It's hard to prove a video like that is fake. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the people who have been analyzing it, you know, there are Reddit threads on it and stuff. And people are like, you know, if you look at certain parts of it, it really looks like the ants are uh, blurry kind of animations that have been edited in Mm -hmm. to to the picture. But yet again, it doesn't seem impossible that a phone which puts out an electromagnetic field could cause something like ants to circle around it. I mean, we know that certain animal, like birds, use a certain amount of magnetic kind of pathfinding to orient themselves for migration. We know that there are electromagnetically sensitive animals that live in the water. Sharks and rays have a certain amount of electromagnetic sensitivity. So you kind of might assume, even though this video turns out to be fake, that there could be things like that. There's some kind of field being put out that sucks in all the insects around it. But with crazy ants, uh, that does not appear to be the case. But the answer, the, the answer is still uh, quite fascinating. Right, it is. So there is more than one kind of crazy ant, actually. The kind we're talking about is Nylanderia fulva, commonly known as the raspberry crazy ant. Raspberry without a P because it's named after a guy named raspberry, <laughs> R-A-S-B-E-R-R-Y, or also known as the tawny crazy ant. Uh, maybe we can mostly call it Nylanderia fulva or something because who wants to say raspberry or tawny when you're talking about ants? They sound delicious, though. Yeah. yeah. Is, is it a flavor of ants? Yeah, I think so. It's kind of – I'm imagining uh, ice cream cone crawling and crazy ants. Well, I'm sure there are ice cream cones like that. A- another point of comparison I should make is that uh, when reading about how these ants pile up, you know, there are these massive volumes of ants. The guy talked about sucking five gallons of ants out of his air conditioner with a vacuum cleaner. The the people who have really bad infestations of Nylanderia fulva in Texas and stuff say that the ants will – sort of like pile up dead against the sides of their house like snowdrifts. Oh, wow. And you, if you don't know what you're looking at, it can look like huge piles of coffee grounds or something, suggesting there could be a flavor. <laughs> well, it sounds like the zombies in World War Z, right, where they're just kind of piling up against the wall. Well, that's, an, that's a kind of interesting thing, the way that ants can behave a little bit like the zombies in the World War Z movie. If you haven't seen the movie – zombies are getting over a barrier by just like piling their bodies up against it and eventually forming a staircase made out of other zombies to get to the top of the wall. Yeah, they're really displaying ant-like behavior in that uh, in that in that film because I'm instantly reminded of, of cases we've talked about in the past of uh, you know I believe uh, fire ants in particular uh, forming a raft yes exactly yeah they'll they'll make a raft for themselves when it floods a raft made out of ants for ants to survive a flood I want to see zombies do that maybe they zombies have done that in a, in a film or a TV show and I just haven't seen it it's kind of a reminder of the bizarre deep almost kind of group intelligence that you see in eusocial insects like ants and bees. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, as we were saying, there's more than one kind of crazy ant. Crazy ants are native to South America, specifically northern Argentina and southern Brazil. So picture kind of middle, middle region in South America. And they were first discovered in Texas by an exterminator named Tom Raspberry in 2002. And since then, they've been spreading throughout the Gulf Coast. Uh, They're now in Louisiana and Florida and Mississippi. And uh, people thought in those regions that the red fire ant was pretty bad. They thought it was a troubling invasive species. But the crazy ant has actually been 
replacing the red fire ant for many years there now. It's also displacing other arthropods like spiders and centipedes, which can destabilize the food chain because larger predators like birds need to be able to eat things like Mm -hmm. spiders and centipedes. They're not so keen on eating crazy ants. All right. Hold that thought. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will jump back into the, the swarm of crazy ants. All right, we're back. So we mentioned that the crazy ants are of the genus Nylandaria. Um, you might wonder how do they get the name crazy ants? Is it because they're crazy because they want to get into your TV? That doesn't really seem like how a name would come about. Apparently, they get this name from just descriptions of their foraging behavior. And if you've never seen what this looks like, you should go to YouTube and you should look up videos of crazy ants foraging because it's it's kind of hard to describe. It's this frantic, erratic, extremely fast movement. Uh, to me, crazy ants moving around in a swarm, it almost looks like a swarm of gnats zipping around in the air except the movement is confined to a flat surface on the ground. Yeah, if you're used to seeing – and you know, ants embarking on uh, on journeys, generally like a, a path from one place to another. You look at this and it just looks like they're just a scramble. They're just a mess. Yeah. It's just a mindless swarm. Well, you think it's a different kind of foraging strategy based on different mathematics, mm-hmm. right? When you've got a single line between two things, you're maximizing efficiency there. Like the ants are not expending any more energy than they need to to get from one place to another in order to transport goods and seek out new stuff and all that. But – when you see these these ants moving around, you get a very different idea. It's almost as if they're going for a different type of investment bet payoff matrix. Like they're betting more on random movement mm-hmm. leading to possible discoveries of things leading to potential payoffs in, in a kind of like cloud type movement. Yeah, they're just scouring the terrain to see what they can find. Now, I listened to an interview with a UT Austin researcher named Dr. Edward Lebrun, who is an expert on crazy ants, who studies invasive ants in general. And um, one of the things he was saying is that they're very successful invasive species because they share traits with other successful invasive ants, one of which is that the crazy ants are what he calls super colonial, meaning you've got no divisions between colonies of the same species. So some other ants might set up a colony here and then a colony over in the neighbor's yard. And if the ants of those two colonies come into contact with another, they're going to fight it out, right? Yeah, they're like rival kingdoms. Exactly. They're in competition for the same resources. It's like, you know, you and your neighbor fighting over I don't know what you would fight over with your neighbor. You, you found buried treasure. Yeah, buried treasure right on the property line. <laughs> And you say, I'm getting my sword. That's my treasure. But the crazy ants don't necessarily behave that way. Uh, Crazy ants from different colonies apparently treat one another with deference and respect. They come across members of another colony and they treat them basically as if they were members of the same colony. So conspecifics, members of the same crazy ant species don't tend to antagonize one another. They team up. And from that New York Times article I mentioned earlier by Mualem, LeBrun, the researcher, says – that he believes there's a single super colony of crazy ants that occupies, quote, as many as 4,200 acres in Iowa Colony, which is a place in Texas, strangely enough, uh, and is spreading 200 meters a year in all directions. So it's basically just this one 
giant organism. Because in many ways, a colony of ants or a colony of any eusocial insects kind of does behave like a single organism split across multiple bodies. Wow. So yeah, this is they're essentially the the, the, the tyranids from uh, Warhammer 40,000. They're just this invading superorganism. Well, you've mentioned the tyranids before, but you've got to tell me a little more about them, Robert. Basically, it's an army of xenomorph-inspired sort of biohars, also very inspired by the um, uh, the alien antagonists from Starship Troopers. So uh, that kind of adversary. And the idea is that they just come and they just lay waste uh, to entire planets. You know, it's funny you should mention Starship Troopers because we were just talking about the uh, World War Z kind of uh, and ant. What, what World War Z zombies and ants have in common is that they'll make megastructures out of their own bodies to climb over things mm-hmm. and stuff. The bugs in Starship Troopers do the same thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. They did in the the, the film version. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if they do in the book, yeah. I, yeah, I've, I've read the book, but I don't, I don't recall. Well, I think it's time. We, we've got to address this question. Why do the crazy ants keep invading electronics? Why do you find them in the TV, in the iron, in the detector, in the, all that stuff? Well, part of the answer, of course, is based on the way they hunt for food and resources, they are simply going to come across electronics. Right. I mean, they are going to find them because that's they're they're just scouring everywhere. They're going to scour your home and they're going to run across uh, your various electronic gadgets. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, one of the things that comes through in these stories about crazy ant infestations is that the, they they become so pervasive in mm-hmm. everywhere. You know, if you've got an infestation in your house, they're going to be all over the place. And so they will be scouting out all kinds of things. And this actually leads to one thing that Edward LeBron said that I thought was pretty interesting. He he didn't use these words, but he said he, essentially that there's got to be some selection bias in the characterization of them mainly invading electronics. And his exact quote was, quote, when your power goes out, you want to know why. You find a bunch of ants, that's a good reason to get your video camera, <laughs> which is a very good point about the way that we tend to notice things, right? We tend to notice something when it's an unusual problem. You're much less likely to get the camera out if it's you know, not turning off something that you might be trying to use. That's right. And then, of course, the, the reason that, that, it, that they, they, they wind up in your electronics, the reason why it becomes a problem, uh, has a lot to do with not so much the uh, – certainly not the, uh, the electronic components there, but just the, the case itself. Like if, if they end up in your computer tower for your, your PC, it's not because there's, a, uh, you know, there's an active battery in there or anything, right? It's the, it's, it's the, the tower itself. Is, a, is an ideal container for the ants. Exactly. So crazy ants are different than many other types of ants. If you've got a, a group of red fire ants, Solenopsis invicta, <laughs> which they've got a really a great, great name. Latin name. Solenopsis invicta, they're going to build a colony, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to dig and they're going to build a mound and they're going to dig tunnels in the mound. They're, they're ecosystem engineers, right? They're, like we were talking about in the City Evolution episode. They build their own ecosystem and then they guard it to the death. Crazy ants are different. They don't dig very much. They dig a little bit, but not much. They prefer to nest in existing cavities they come across in the environment. So the insides of boxes containing electronics tend to be an ideal type of enclosed protected space that's perfect for them to climb into and form a nest inside. Yeah, enclosed spaces with, uh, with space in there and uh, unlimited numbers of, uh, of entrances and exits. Right, and very small entrances and exits. Mm-hmm. So predators, it's going to be hard for them to get in there. When was the last time an anteater got inside your TV, right? <laughs> it's true. 
It's true. It's, 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 it's pretty safe for man-eaters. Yeah. Less than five times, it's got to be. <laughs> but also, LeBron and other experts have pointed out another reason why you might tend to find tons of ants in the guts of your TV or tons of crazy ants uh, pouring out of a, of a compressor box or something. LeBron says that when the crazy ants get agitated, they release something known as an alarm pheromone. Now, we know that a lot of the communication between ants who share a colony is pheromone-based. They release chemical signals that are distributed through the air. They can essentially smell messages from one another. And the alarm pheromone is a chemical that has a smell that alerts conspecific ants to danger or trouble. Now, you could imagine that this could work several different ways in the wild, right? Mm -hmm. One way an animal might use an alarm pheromone would be to say, hey, I'm in danger. There's something dangerous here. You better stay away. But not so with the crazy ants. You know, I feel like this uh, sort of pheromone-based behavior, you often see this pop up in monster movies, Uh as a way to outsmart or defeat the adversary. Uh, Blade 2 comes to mind. There's uh, They end up uh, like uh, mimicking the pheromones of the uh, the Reaper vampires and, you know, directing where they swarm. But I feel like it's rarely explored as the, the prime motivator. Is there a monster movie out there where the whole crazy interspecies conflict comes down to a misunderstanding over alarm pheromones? <laughs> it would be interesting. Well, I've never heard of that, but you could easily see how, especially given what I'm about to say, that, that things could get mixed up and go bad. So – Another – what LeBron says is actually it's not the way that I just mentioned. It's not that they put out an alarm pheromone that says I'm in danger, stay away. When you put crazy ants in a vial, he says, they get very agitated and they get mad. They release their alarm pheromone. And if you take a vial of these really angry, agitated ants and you put it next to a trail of other crazy ants, instead of avoiding the vial, the ants are going to swarm all over it. They're actually attracted to the alarm pheromone. And this kind of makes sense for ants because being eusocial insects, this is how they defend nests. Like if you've got a nest and something's in the nest attacking the nest, what you want to do is bring all of your family members in to fight the attacker off. So basically they're – their, their whole way about doing things is if you mess with one crazy ant, you're messing with all the crazy ants. Right. I mean, one crazy ant doesn't stand much of a chance, right? right. They're, they're, they're very small. Crazy ants are tiny, especially compared to some other ant competitors of theirs, which are bigger and have powerful venom glands and stingers and stuff. Crazy ants are little things. Yeah. But of course, the, the problem here is someone with a, a an invaded xbox they're they're not intentionally messing with the crazy ants they're not trying to eat crazy ants they're not they're not they're not trying to do the uh, uh the colony's harm but what happens if uh, if if a, if a single crazy ant comes to harm within your xbox that's exactly the problem so it has been hypothesized by lebron and others that what may be going on here is You've got an electronic device or an electrical power box or something. Crazy ant comes in. Uh, Maybe multiple crazy ants come in. Either one ant or a group of ants touching one another create a short circuit. They touch the wrong contact points. They close a circuit and get electrocuted or burned. Because they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how circuits work. No, they're like Indiana Jones' buddy wandering through the temple. They don't know there are <laughs> traps here. They don't know to stay out of the light. So, they, <laughs> so they, they just get burned or get electrocuted. And then when there's trauma, they release the alarm pheromone. And, of course, this draws in more ants. And maybe more ants get electrocuted or burned or something like that. And they release more alarm pheromone. And it draws in even more ants until you've just got a TV sagging with ants. 
And this, again, this could work wonderfully in, say, a zombie movie. What if the whole reason the zombies are attacking the, the, the house a la Night of the Living Dead is because one zombie happened to uh, uh, you know, burn up in a toaster? I feel like there's got to be a good monster movie that already has a treatment of this. It, it must exist. I can't call anything to mind right now. Yeah, like I say, I, it seems like you see the pheromone angle used as a as a brilliant scientific, uh, you know, uh, tactic against the monsters, but it's rarely the uh, the the actual cause of the enca- of the uh, encounter. Now, if you don't already live within range of Nylanderia fulva, I'm sure you're wondering when can I get them in my Xbox. <laughs> well, the fortunate thing is that they they don't tend to travel very far on their own because they don't have wing dispersal. So they don't, you know, fly off new queens to set up new colonies far away. They move very slowly. I've seen it characterized as on average about 200 meters per year is about as far as they go unless somebody moves them. Mm. And you can imagine how somebody might move them by accident if they tend to inhabit cavities. So say one of these things gets inside your car. Mm-hmm. or gets inside your TV and you move houses or gets inside something else. And that is how these things can be transported to new places. Now, th- there are some questions that haven't been fully answered yet about what's the up- upwards northern end of their possible range? How how far north could they go before, for example, uh, freezes, hard freezes in the winter would prevent them from surviving? And we don't fully know the answers to all those questions yet. But once we answer those questions, then, of course, who knows if climate change is going to affect that over the coming decades anyway. So Right. That's, gonna, that's changing the playing field for so many different organisms. Yeah. So what ultimately is at stake here with the crazy ants? I mean, it, it, it surely goes beyond just the, the, aver- the, the, the odd shorted uh, out Xbox, right? Right. Well, the, the damage is mainly not to human electronics. It's mainly going to be to ecosystems because they can outcompete native insects. They can destroy uh, beehives and other ant colonies. Um, I've read that they can even so, – sometimes they're so thick, they swarm so thick – that they can smother and suffocate ground-dwelling birds. Oh, it's oh, horrible to picture. Uh, but the, yeah, they just get into the nasal cavities of chickens and other ground-dwelling birds and asphyxiate them. Uh, they can get in the eyes of livestock. It, it, it's really gross. As far as damage goes, I actually have read that there was at least one time when they, they shut down a chemical plant oh, man. by getting into electronics. So we've been saying, okay, here are these these more reasonable explanations. It's not that they eat electricity. It's that there's this pheromone and here's what happens to get them inside your electronics. I should note that in that New York Times story I mentioned earlier, Dr. David Oy, an entomologist with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, he, according to him, he said, you know, we can't rule out the possibility that the ants are in some way actually attracted to electromagnetic fields and get in there for that reason. That just hasn't been you know, we haven't demonstrated that, but you can't rule it out as an influencing factor. So who knows? Maybe they are. Uh, maybe they are shocker material. <laughs> but anyway, as as far as their effect on uh, on humans goes, I mean, I think a lot of it is actually more psychological than material damage. Uh, when you read about people who live in the places where they're dealing with infestations of these ants, they 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 hate them. They're they are freaking out. Uh, I mean, I'm sure not everybody is like that, but there there are some people who are really distressed at, <laughs> well, how, I can't at just imagine. how voluminous the ants are. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone not freaking out. Like we, we don't really want our homes to be um, 
habitats for anything uh, besides ourselves and uh, our sanctioned pets. Yeah. Like nobody, nobody wants to see ants in their house. That is always a problem. You know, that John Muellam article in the Times, it takes a, a dark turn <laughs> when he quotes, uh, he quotes the American psychologist James Hillman and says that Hillman argued, uh, an endless swarm of bugs flattens your perception of yourself as precious and meaningful. <laughs> it instantly reduces your individual consciousness to a merely numerical or statistical level. Well, I, I can't say that's exactly how I think about it when I encounter ants in the house. Usually I'm, I, I think more, oh, well, we left something out. The ants came in and are trying to eat it. Now I've got to set out some of these grotesque traps to try and kill them. Everyone loses. The ants lose. I lose. Nobody wants this situation. You know, I, I don't like killing bugs and wildlife. But when I've had ant infestations in my house, I've noticed that like I just turn into a cold-hearted murderer. <laughs> I'm just like, right, yeah, I'm going to kill you all. It, it, it does something to my brain. Hmm. Well, they, they're just – they're out of place. They're not supposed to be here. That's not what the house is for. Yeah, I feel like I should learn to be a better person. <laughs> And it's easy to do that when you are out and about and encounter the ants uh, in the yard. But it's it's just in the house that changes everything. Now, one of the things that a lot of the conversation on crazy ants has centered on has actually been – uh, like bureaucratic, scientific, and government response to them. Like a lot that New York Times article I mentioned, while it's got some great anecdotes and stuff in it, a lot of the article is actually focused on the scientific community and the government's alleged slowness to identify the species and respond to its spread in a way that might not be fair, right? Yeah, I found an interesting response to this uh, particular New York Times uh, article by uh, research scientist Alex Wild, and he offered this critique. He said, quote, This is not accurate. Scientists did not, in fact, quote, swarm into debate, unquote. The the slow response to identifying in fulva was exactly the opposite. The trouble is that figuring out the origin of invasive ants isn't anyone's job, at least not in the United States. What happened was that a few ant scientists in their spare time, from whatever their official duties were, have occasionally offered an opinion about these new invaders. And he goes on to summarize uh, further and and he says, I don't see the point of singling out the egghead scientists for being slow to identify Nylanderia fulva when the real trouble is bigger and structural. Americans simply don't value basic research enough to support a system that rapidly pinpoints emerging pest problems. If we want to quickly identify new pests, we need to salary thousands of positions for taxonomists where rapid response to emerging threats is part of the job. I think that's a good point to make. I mean, uh, maybe we should have made it more clear that one of the things in the article is that you get this idea that, oh, these like exterminators and people have to be the ones to step in and really push forward on identifying the species because the scientists are dropping the ball. It it really – basically the horror movie just writes itself again because you can imagine the the poor exterminator character. (laughs) Yeah, the exterminator character dies in the opening scene. Then the scientist comes in and is all uh, trying to uh, interpret it but ultimately can't get a handle on the monsters and the monsters eat him. But the reality is rather different. There's no crack team of egghead scientists who show up to deal with, uh, with, with different outbreaks of ants. Yeah, and especially with the world we live in right now. I mean, we live in a world that is, number one, globally connected through commerce and travel. So things can get back and forth between places really easy. And number two, we live in an era of changing climate 
where it's going to be – we're always going to be altering ecosystems and changing the types of life forms they can support. We're getting into an invasive species uh, – what would you call it? The dead zone? Not the dead zone. A, a life zone actually. Yeah. It's the opposite. A zone that is just rife for infestations of all types. Now, I, I, I want to be careful not to overly demonize – invasive species because you can sometimes see people get into this mindset of like, oh, this species from South America or something, they're just these horrible pests. It's not that the animals themselves are horrible. I mean, they didn't do anything wrong. They're just trying to live. The problem is they're suddenly living in an ecosystem that was not prepared for them and they're they're disrupting that ecosystem and causing rapid change within it. Yeah, we're the ones who uh, disrupted the balance. So you you can't you can't get mad at the weights when you're the one who switched them around on the scales. Yeah. That being said, you you can try to exterminate the, the weights in this case the ants. All right, we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we'll discuss the ant-on-ant action, the <laughs> ant war between the fire ants and the crazy ants. All right, we're back. It's fire ants versus crazy ants. How does this epic war go down? Robert, you've got to tell me, is there a fire ant or any kind of ant, a uh, Mexican wrestler or Japanese wrestler? Ooh, well, there are some... There are some sort of uh, – there are some ant-based wrestlers out of uh, – I believe it's with Chikara, which is a U.S. independent uh, pro wrestling group. OK. And they have a whole slew of ants. There's like fire ant, soldier ant, and they're all masked wrestlers. Yeah. How did I guess this? Yeah. It just it, – it, it writes itself. You would just assume there would be ant wrestlers, and there are. I bet they're a good tag team, right? Because ants are great team players. I believe so. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a big uh, Chikara viewer, but uh, my understanding is that they have uh, – uh, they they are like uh, like tag team and six man tag uh, team specialists. Yes. Well, let's imagine that the team they're going up against is a team of fire ants. You've got a team of crazy ants, okay. crazy ant wrestlers going up against fire ant wrestlers. Uh, who's going to win this battle? Turns out the crazy ants. The crazy <laughs> ants are going to win. Even though the crazy ants, they're small. Uh, they, they don't have this powerful, scary sting like the fire ants do. Like you get some fire ants on you, stinging you. That is a, that's a bad day. And it's going to be some bad days. Like <laughs> th- that hurts. Uh, the crazy ants, while they can be incredibly irritating if you've got an infestation in your home, their bite has been described as barely noticeable. It's, it's not too painful to humans. Yeah. Yeah, by humans, always important to note when we're dealing with minuscule sp- uh, species. But then again, it speaks to the power of the, the fire ant that yeah. we're all aware uh, of what a fire ant can do. So much so that we all know what it means when E.O. Wilson jams his hand into the fire ant nest and you see him oh, just yes. – joyfully beaming with the ant pain. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, you've got these competitors, red fire ants or Solenopsis invicta and the crazy ants or Nylanderia fulva. And when they come together, the crazy ants apparently win. So how do the crazy ants generally protect themselves? Well, there's a good article by uh, Dina Fine Marin in 2014 called The Rise of the Crazy Ants in Scientific American. Uh, and it profiles some good research in science from 2014, 2014 by uh, LeBrun, Jones, and Gilbert about chemical warfare between crazy ants and fire ants. And so one of the first things you would observe is that if you've got equal numbers of fire ants and crazy ants that show up, they've got equally matched tag teams and they show up to fight, the crazy ants win about 93% of the time. That's a really good record, right? Yeah, that is that they are they are the victors by far. Does any wrestler win 93% of the time? 
Stone yeah. cold? Um, well, I I don't know. You know, some some have phenomenally high uh, you know uh, win, uh, win records. You know, it's just it depends who's the, the the top character in a promotion, I guess. And that would definitely be the crazy ant here, probably because they would be the most popular. Fans love the crazy ant. Yeah, and it's not just these in vivo matchups. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's colony snatching. Sometimes crazy ant colonies are found inside fire ant mounds that still have some fire ants in them alive. Oh, wow. Meaning that these nests were not abandoned by fire ants and then expropriated by crazy ants. They were actively invaded while the fire ants were still there and the crazy ants took over. So the way the crazy ants are able to do this is that they can secrete substances from their glands, one of which is formic acid uh, that was already shown to be a weapon that could be sprayed at attackers. There's a study in Toxicon in 2013 by Jian Chen et al. Uh, called Defensive Chemicals of Tawny Crazy Ants, Nylanderia fulva. Uh, actually, it's got a long title. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But uh, basically, it says that Nylanderia fulva, they produce formic acid in their poison glands and then two ketones and alkanes in their Dufour's glands, all of which are used as toxic weapons against fire ants. So they've got these poisons they use. The Dufour gland compounds are used more as con contact poisons. They're more uh, potent if you like dab some on the enemy. Mm -hmm. Whereas the formic acid has a higher fumigation toxicity. So that's like gassing your enemy. Oh, so they have both melee and ranged weapons at at their disposal, basically. It is true. And in a high enough concentration, uh, formic acid can even be an inhalation hazard to humans causing like lung edema, you know, fluid in the lungs. But fortunately, you don't have to worry about ants producing it in a high enough concentration that it's going to hurt you. But they could hurt other ants. Uh, I, I was a little bit interested in formic acid because I was reading about it and I found, you know, okay, it seems like this has been known about for a while and it's actually been used in, in, in some human industry. Well, I found an extract of a letter about the discovery of formic acid in ants uh, in the 17th century. It was written by a guy named John Ray to the publisher of Philosophical Transactions in 1670. Uh, it was called Concerning Some Uncommon Observations and Experiments Made with Acid Juice to be Found in Ants. Juice spelled J-U-Y-C-E. And I got to be honest, the main reason I wanted to explore this is because I learned a new word. Oh, yes. It, it's a note, quote, concerning the juice of pissmires. Pissmires? What's a pissmire? Well, I did not know this word before. Pissmires means ants. And huh. yes, it is pronounced pissmire. And it comes from the root you're wondering about right now, uh, named after the supposed smell of anthills at the time. Huh. So Myers meant ants. And anthills smell like urine? That was the idea. Huh. I don't I don't know that I've ever really stopped and smelled the anthills. Maybe I should. I'm not enjoying life enough. Apparently now it makes sense where the phrase piss ant comes from. Yeah, okay. It means piss mire, I always which thought it means was just, ant. I always thought it was just the random combination of two things like, oh, that that guy's really a poop duck. You know, there's <laughs> no there's not necessarily a connection there, but you you put two things together and it sounds like an insult. What's, you know, so I assume piss ant was the same thing. No, but apparently this is not vulgar phrase at all. This is 17th century scientific journal stuff. Huh. Well, there you go. But anyway, uh, Ray considers, the, the author of this letter, he, he's been writing about this experiment he read about where somebody would drop chicory leaves among an anthill and it would cause the chicory leaves to change color, indicating some kind of chemical reaction. 
and he's wondering what's going on there. And he discovers that the juice of pissmeyers is an acid causing similar effects to oil of vitriol, which means sulfuric acid. And in the end of his letter, he writes, quote, Indeed, it seems strange that nature should prepare and separate in the body of this insect without insensible heat, and that in good quantity, considering the bulk of the animal, a liquor the same for kind with those acid spirits, which are by art extracted out of some minerals, not without great force of fire. And so I like that he's marveling like, you know, how is it that ants can produce this powerful poison, but we can't do make anything this powerful without some kind of serious alchemy? Yeah. Uh, but another interesting little tidbit I came across is that formic acid is used by humans and things. Of course, it's used as an antibacterial preservative uh, for things like livestock feed. But I've also read some stories just in recent months about how formic acid could be used as a liquid hydrogen carrier for fuel cell technology. Oh, wow. So what if the electronics of the future are powered by fuel cells containing the same defensive poisons used by pissmeyers that short out and invade current-day <laughs> electronics in the Gulf states? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So you're imagining a, a future in which the, uh, uh, the engine itself is a, is a colony of some sort of uh, crazy ants. I like it. It's like Back to the Future, except instead of the uh, uh, the, the, the garbage uh, disposal that uh, powers the futuristic uh, DeLorean, mm-hmm. it's just he needs to uh, Doc has to find another uh, crazy ant colony to <laughs> shove in there. I think the really sad thing is that they're not like milking ants to get the formic <laughs> acid. I think they I think they make it in an industrial process. Oh. But how how disappointing, man! Yeah, I can still dream. But who knows? Maybe maybe we could change all that if somebody invent, invents a really efficient ant milking machine. Anyway, 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 getting back to the role of the formic acid in the ant's defense. So we know they can use it as an offensive weapon against enemies like the red red fire ant. But this LeBrun paper from 2014, what it found was really interesting. So they found that when crazy ants get into battles with red fire ants, they do this really weird series of behaviors. The crazy ant encounters a red fire ant. Then the crazy ant rears up on its hind and middle legs. Then it does this unbelievable body contortion where it curls its body all the way around to touch its mandibles to the tip of its abdomen. Hmm. Then it starts doing something that looks like self-grooming, rubbing a secretion around on its body. So what's going on there? Well, researchers uh, experimented by placing a tiny dab of nail polish on the crazy ant's glandular opening on the abdomen. And this would block the opening and prevent it from secreting whatever it normally secretes. And so this was the test group. They also placed a small dab of nail polish on the sides of the abdomen of a control group. This dab would not block any secretions. And then, of course, you've got ant fight. Right, <laughs> crazy ants versus fire ants. So in the control group that just had the uh, just had the nail polish on the sides and they could still secrete from the abdomen, the control group survived fire ant attacks almost a hundred percent of the time. The crazy ants were just killing it. But in the experimental group, roughly half of the crazy ants were killed by fire ants. And among the ones that survived, it may have been because the nail polish didn't completely cover the opening, so some secretions got through. Hmm. So apparently the formic acid is not just a weapon. It is a defensive body shield as well, protecting the ant from the venomous attacks of its competitors. Oh, wow. 
And so also from the Lebrun study, the researchers tested whether the formic acid would protect another ant species from the venom of the fire ant. And they found, yep, among a third ant species, those given a placebo were killed by fire ants about 80 percent of the time, while those treated with the crazy ants' formic acid secretions, almost all of them survived. So how does the formic acid produce this sort of body shield that protects the ant? We don't really know yet. The secrets of ant warfare. There's always more to discover. You know, it makes me think about um, how to different kinds of animals, they live in a, in a different arena of competition. Now, obviously, f- fighting between ants will involve some kind of like mechanical action and shearing pressure and pushing and all the kind of stuff we imagine when we're fighting. But when we imagine big mammals fighting, mm-hmm. it's all like force. You're delivering energy to one another. You're biting and twisting and cutting and stuff. And, and that's how animals like us fight. And because of that, I think a lot of our fighting perception is based on things like movement and distance. You know, we're trying to see like how far something is from us and how fast it's moving. And when you're on the scale of an ant, the theater of perception and conflict is so much more chemical. It's all about what chemicals are present in the immediate area, what pheromones are telling you about what's going on around you, uh, what pheromones you can put out that will do, you know, and like, and because you're so small and the conflict itself is so largely venomous and chemical in nature. Yeah, but then on the other hand, you are they. You know, we, we, yeah. we want to think about the individual ant, but yeah. you have such a eusocial um, uh, organization here with an ant colony that it, uh, it, it, it's far from a one for one. For one. You, you'd have to think of yourself as the colony, really, I think, to get anywhere close uh, to imagining what it is to be ant. Yeah, that's a good point to remind us. It's like it might actually, if you could understand the mind of an ant, to whatever extent there is such a thing as the mind of an ant, mm-hmm. it might not make sense to be the mind of an individual ant. It might maybe there really is no such thing as an individual ant. I mean, of course, there is the object of a single ant body, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really. That's not really a biological unit as much as the colony is the unit. Yeah, like we fall into traps too with our, our language. I've I've read before uh, regarding bees. Uh, another famous eusocial insect, of course, is that we 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 know the queen bee is not an actual queen, mm-hmm. and yet just by referring to her as such, by approaching bees with uh, with human models in our mind, we think of her as being some sort of an authority figure. We can, it's so easy to fall into that trap when really she is another cog in the machine. Yeah, I I propose we replace the phrase queen bee with gene bee. It's the bee who's the vehicle for genes for the next generation. Yeah, I like that. We should push for that. Gene B. Gene B. But not like not like the the bee's name is Gene. Well, maybe it's J E A N. It's you know the, the feminine gene that will work. That'll work. All right, so there you have it. Uh, as always, head on over to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's where you'll find all the episodes as well as links out to our various social media accounts such as Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you're on Facebook. 
Uh, go find the discussion module, the Stuff to Blow Your Mind discussion module. That is the official Facebook group for this podcast. It's a great place to discuss episodes and related topics with other listeners, uh, as well as with uh, your humble hosts here. If you would like to support the show, uh, I always urge you to rate and review wherever you are able to do so. Big thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio producers, Alex Williams and Tari Harrison. If you would like to get in touch with us directly to let us know feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for a future episode or just to say hi, let us know how you're doing, you can email us at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Thank you.